This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Back folks here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub on the other side, and the fellas are here. The MCO Blog Roundtable. I look forward to this every week. I know you look forward to it every week, and I look forward to hearing your take. I promise we will not dedicate the entire hour to the <laughs> to the to the tunnel assault, to the tunnel ambush. Let's call it for what it is. But this is our first time coming together, so I think you have to sort of uh, indulge us and, and ha- give us an opportunity to have this discussion amongst us here on the MGO Blog Roundtable. Joining me, the Roundtable crew first, Brian Cook, the man who started it all over at MGO Blog. Brian, how are you this morning? Good. Seth Good. Fisher, how are you this morning? I'm great. It's Rutgers week, and I just got upgraded on my flight to New York, so... All right, there you go. And then, of course, one Mr. Craig Ross. Craig, good morning. How are you? Morning. How are you guys doing? I'm really good. Doing great. All right, so let's let's just dive in, guys. Tunnel uh, ambush. Your 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 thoughts on what devolved into maybe the ugliest scene that we've seen in this rivalry? Well, you get these videos from the Penn State game last week, right? Where there's a video of them in the tunnel afterwards. People are just walking off the field, and at 37 seconds in that video, you see Jamon Green, who goes down the tunnel to see his dad early. And it's like a sweet family story, and now it's like, oh, can't do that against Michigan State. And I guess Michigan needed to learn that lesson that, <clears throat> you know, when Michigan State loses in this rivalry, things get real ugly. Uh, and, and the real disappointing thing is that their media has been just appalling this whole week, downplaying, I mean... Graham Couch's like co-host said something along the lines of like, I thought it was great. And Graham Couch didn't immediately say, stop that. He didn't shut that down. And that is what exactly happened in the tunnel, right? There are eight players who are suspended. There are 78 players who didn't do anything. And there's Xavier Henderson tried to step in, but that was like one guy. And, you know, I think it really reflects on the, on the Michigan state program is that you can see that happening and you can have 10 guys who are like, we're going to beat up Jade McBurrows. And not one of those guys is like, hey, we should think about what's happening here. And it's been happening for years. It's going to keep happening. And I think Michigan is right to get Tom Mars involved because no one else is going to like get them in anything resembling accountability. They're not going to be accountable to themselves. They're like announcing some suspensions for a season that's already over. That's nothing. And what you need to do is you need to see... <clears throat> something happened on the big 10 level, but it probably won't. And we're just going to have to keep living with this and until Michigan state ceases to exist, which is probably not going to happen. 
Seth Fisher. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you told me before the season started, one team was going to, uh, after losing to Michigan, assault two players in the tunnel, uh, completely unprovoked, whatever, however you would describe it. You told me that's how that happened. I would have not hesitated to tell you what team it was. And I would have been super surprised if it wasn't Michigan State. We expected this from Michigan State more than we expected it from any other program. We would have been shocked had it been Rutgers. We would have been shocked if this happened with Purdue. Okay? Michigan State has had a culture problem for a long time. And Brian's right. It goes to their media. Because when you have someone who's willing to tell you whatever you want to hear about your program, even when your program's embarrassing itself, then they can do whatever they want to. That's how you create that culture. And I, I know a lot of Spartans in my life. Most of them don't bother with Michigan State media. They will not turn on Valenti. They can't stand the guy, right? They, the, it's a lot of the Detroit media that don't even bother reading. They, no one can go on the 27, uh, 247 board for Michigan State, right? Like The Red Cedar message board, that's like the most toxic fan base in the, on the planet. There are a lot of Michigan State fans who don't uh, participate in that. And those are the ones saying, I'm really embarrassed right now. And stopping it there, and not. I haven't. To make it I haven't seen a single Michigan you don't, State person. Right, because that's that's they're not out there on the on Twitter. They're not out there. Like, I made one tweet, themselves. and and it was there was like two days of guys who look like they just put on their Axe body spray, showing up <laughs> at my mentions, being like, "Well, well, what about this?" And I'm like, "Well, that's not assault. What about this? Yep. That's not assault. What about this? Also not assault." And that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Okay, so there is a culture at Michigan State that's perpetuated by the media that was uh, definitely established, if not created by D'Antonio, definitely established by D'Antonio. We all remember the ripping Denard's head and like the they're circling the wagons after that. This has been a problem at Michigan State for a long time. There's a culture problem with their program, with their media, and I don't. I don't have the answer to deal with that because that's got to be something Michigan State fans deal with. But the ones who, most of them, have tuned out. Like a lot of them, just don't care anymore. They have like the relationship with the with their team that I have with the Lions, where it's like, okay, I hope we win, but I'm not going to let this destroy me anymore because they well, can't stand I mean, their people. I, I guarantee you, there's no one in that locker room who gives a crap about what happened. There's nobody who feels remorse in that locker room. The only thing that they feel remorse for is that it got on tape and that they're going to have to deal with some legal consequences. The suspensions are all for PR. Everything that the, they're doing is for PR. And in that, inside that locker room, nobody thinks that was a problem. And you can tell that because everybody in the media who's a Michigan State person doesn't think it's a problem. So they're getting a cue from somewhere, right? Like, you know what goes on inside Michigan's program, Sam. You get cues. You know what is acceptable and not acceptable rhetoric about Michigan football. And the rhetoric around Michigan State football from people who are plugged in and should know better is downplay, dismiss, even valorize that behavior. So, yeah, it's a problem with their program culture, and it's not going to change. Greg Ross. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I'll tell this story. About uh, 15 or 20 years ago, I'm walking out of a Michigan-Michigan State basketball game in Chrysler, uh, it was a huge upset. Michigan won. Michigan State was heavily favored. And I'm walking through the parking lot and the cars are moving slowly and uh, a window rolls down near me as I'm walking through. And I thought, well, maybe this is a person who needs directions or something. And so I stood there while the window rolled down 
it was a very attractive young woman. And uh, she looked at me and I thought she was going to ask me something about directions. And she said instead, uh, she was wearing Michigan State stuff. She said to me, uh, you can lick my butthole. And, and so... <laughs> And, and 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 so, in retro in retrospect, I began to really like that woman. Um, I mean, I mean, she took on a sort of mythic proportions within my consciousness. And then, at the as Sue heard this story, as Sue heard this story, she was sick and wasn't didn't go to that game. But yeah, I told her, I told her the story, and she laughed too. But you know, and. At the game this week, I sat next to a guy who was a Michigan State guy. He was a very nice man. He was a lovely person. And 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 to my left, there were four kids who were Michigan State fans, probably students. And 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 they were nice kids. I mean, they were clearly nice kids and behaved appropriately. Now I haven't always had this experience of, at the stadium with Michigan State fans, but but they were nice Michigan State fans sitting around me. And so the, the outcome of this for me was to feel uh, was was to feel very badly for Michigan State fans because if this was my team behaving like that, I would have a really hard time. Now, for example. The Cleveland Browns. I grew up watching the, uh, <laughs> the Cleveland Browns. We're, we're all laughing because Eric Tolbert laughing. just, just uh, <laughs> sent in a message saying, we have, did you get the plate? Because I want to meet him. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so the, uh, you know, the Browns get this quarterback, Watson, and I can't root for them anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just can't do it. And, and, and so, I, you know, I've become a Lions fan and uh, with all the baggage that entails. And, and Why? so I don't Why know do how anyone, <laughs> I, I don't know how anyone could really be continue and stay to be a Michigan state fan right now. And so I feel badly for the legitimate people, the serious people who, who root for Michigan State having having to endure this? You know, for my part, I don't care if we ever play them again. I think I said that five years ago. That that you know, I have no real investment never playing them, and I don't see what what Michigan gets out of playing them. Uh, this is this this rivalry is solely to Michigan State's benefit, and and we get nothing out of it. And so uh, we can pull them off the schedule. I don't care. You know, the, the, the whataboutism has been ridiculous from yeah. folks trying to <clears throat> assign some sort of blame or culpability uh, to Michigan for uh, the, the, the tunnel, something being wrong with the tunnel, or why were the, why were, why were Jamon and, and, uh, and Jaden, why were they even in the tunnel, right? That ridiculous stuff. But the, one of the worst is the, the false equivalency with, what happened with Juwan and Greg Gard? These mm -hmm. these situations are not even remotely similar, uh, and I won't even go back into why they're they're different. What I want to focus on is the difference, and what you just talked about in your commentary, Brian. The difference in the reaction of the media. I cannot remember one member of the media that offered anything but condemnation of the of the not one, not one said that's okay. Not one said that, that was justified. Everyone said this is this is a a a bad moment, a a, a horrible offense, and it, it deserves punishment. And punishment was was ultimately uh, served in, in levy. But just the the difference between the reaction to that, which was not 
on the on the scale of this one is is just maybe the 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 contrast that illustrates what you're talking about, Brian, when you talk about the problems that you see up there with reactions in the media. Yeah, I mean, Jamon Green's not practicing this week, and he's not going to play against Rutgers. Oh, is that right? I didn't. And know. I mean, that's what I I heard that. I don't I thought I saw that online. I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, that's what I thought I saw, but um, <clears throat> so I mean, just look at the incidents. Like, you know, Jawan Howard's not swinging a helmet. He's trying to open hand a guy, and it's like it's a it's a scuffle. And this literally happened on the field. Like there was, uh, you know, people shouting at each other and stuff. And there's a Michigan State, I think, defensive tackle who starts swinging at people. You know, and that happens. Like people wearing helmets, getting people trying to punch them. That happens probably four or five, six times a year in college football. What we saw in the tunnel is not something that we see and cannot be condoned. And then people are talking about, oh, it's the third incident in seven games. This is the only incident. The other incidents are are Penn State and and Ohio State turning around and yelling back at Michigan once they yelled at, I mean, that's not a fight. That's just hooting. That happens every weekend and every game. And this is not anywhere near that. So the tunnel is not the issue. Michigan State is the issue. The culture of Michigan State from their board I mean, Brian Masalem was the was the sane person on their board, and he's another guy who has just an appalling podcast quote this week. And that was the guy who like had some sort of like remorse about Larry Nasser, the only one. I mean, this is this is a school that like when they had their big crisis, what did they do? They brought in John Engler to circle the wagons. <laughs> And you can see the difference between the two cultures because when Michigan had Robert Anderson, nobody circled any wagons. There was not a single wagon circled. Everybody was like, this is terrible, and we're going to try to make it right now. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they have a culture problem, and I just can't see them not having one perpetually. But we can talk about this until the cows come home, or we can change the topic into uh, Michigan. Absolutely. On, Get invitation accepted. There was yeah. a game. Uh, that Michigan uh, really, uh, in the second half, really imposed its will in. Uh, didn't wasn't the um, wasn't the kind of dominance that I anticipated. I wonder was is it along the lines of what you guys expected? But it, it still was a was a dominating turn in the second half of this game. So let's get into that with the takeaways and let's let's start in re- reverse order this time. Craig, your your take on Michigan, Michigan State, the game itself. Well, Mi- Michigan pretty much dominated the game. I felt, and I'm interested in, in your opinions, uh, I felt Michigan played a somewhat conservative game. Uh, it looked to me like State was, was playing safeties high mostly and telling Michigan to run the ball, and Michigan was able to, to, to do that. My, my frustrations, and I think it's all everyone's, was that we sort of uh, did not do well in the red zone. And I think Brian predicted this because to some extent, Michigan state has proven that they're good in the red zone. Um, And they were good in this game and we were not very good. Devin, I heard him say that he didn't feel Michigan was sufficiently imaginative within the red zone. I wonder if it's not something else and that uh, we weren't sufficiently unimaginative. I mean, because I kept feeling like, yeah, we can just pound it at these guys and, and, and we'll probably get it in there. Instead, we, we didn't quite do that. And um, so I'm curious uh, on, on more intelligent thoughts on point than mine. But overall, I felt that Michigan 
decided this is a game we can win. We don't. We just need not to make big mistakes. Uh, they used uh, uh, Jake Moody uh, to sort of continue to put points on the board, and 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 it worked. It worked out fine. I think you know we were all a little bit perhaps disappointed that the score wasn't you know 50 to seven versus 29 to seven, but uh, it certainly could have been 50 to seven. Seth. Yeah, I thought there were a couple play-calling issues in the red zone for Michigan, but otherwise, like, you know, people were wondering, where's Michigan's deep ball? And I'm like, well, they're they're all playing two back, right? Like, if you're worried that Michigan's, you know, not going to be able to connect on those long throws, their opponents certainly are are, are worried about it, right? Um, and I'll leave the rest of that to Brian. I just, I mean, Blake Corum, how many times did he turn something that should have been third and two or fourth and two into, into a first down? Uh, on defense, um, I thought that the July drive was lacking. I thought, like, you know, Michigan State always has, like, a plan for this game, right? They always have something scripted. Now it got broken up because they got a personal foul uh, in the first drive, so they kind of had to break up their July drive into two drives. But when they came out with stuff, it was, like, counteraction. And then they didn't know how to, like, run off of that. Like, Michigan had a slant, and that that's it. That, it broke it. So I was... I, like I remember D'Antonio, like if he, I go to a, you, you know break down these games afterwards or something, and like D'Antonio's first drive would always be awesome. It'd be like this is coaching at its best. It's like okay, these guys really put a lot of attention into Michigan. They know what's wrong with us. They know how to attack us. They had a plan, and then they execute it. And Michigan State today under Tucker, it's like they they had a plan. It just was an awful plan. They're using counteraction in the backfield and thinking that's going to mess up Michigan, even though. They're Michigan's really not one of the teams that kind of steps with running backs very much. Like they, I, I was surprised. So the one thing they had working is you know chucking the ball up in the air, and then Michigan adjusted to that. There was a Michigan adjustment that Michigan State exploited late in the game, uh, because we were having the safety get over the corner routes all the time. Uh, I think that's how they hit that long bomb. But then the adjustment to that was Rod Moore, you know, taking that same throw away a couple plays later. So that. That's basically what I saw, and then Rod Moore just had a great game. I'm really excited to see, like you know, if he continues playing like that. Brian, well, I mean, this is not your Michigan, your older brother's Michigan State defense. This is the most passive I've ever seen a Michigan State team play. Most of the game, they had six, maybe six and a half guys in the box, and that's an invitation to run. Michigan took it, and it was just an absolute beating. Outside a goal-to-go situation, Michigan didn't. Uh, have a third down longer than four yards until halfway through the third quarter. Like it was just going down the field over and over and over again. And then they got in the red zone and they, they uh, had some issues and a lot of that went back to play calling. I mean, they ran arc twice in the, in the, in the red zone and you know, JJ got a keep read and he kept it, but the fight, the safety was five yards away from the line of scrimmage because they were at the four yard line. And both of those were tackles for losses. I don't think that's a play you can run at the five-yard line. And when Michigan just, you know, manned up and, and went to uh, Corum, that's when they scored their touchdowns. So I felt like <clears throat> Slade made some plays, but otherwise Michigan really handled probably one of the best defensive tackle situations they're going to see all year. And they, they were really proficient in converting in short yardage because Blake Corum can suddenly – deadlift a semi and so when you look down the road like if you get first and goal from the sixth there's no re there's no need to get fancy 
just load up and you know run down G, run inside zone, run duo, whatever you want to do. Just put the ball in Blake Quorum's hands and get into the end zone. And I, I think that's probably what they're going to refocus on over the course of this week because um, you know the uh, the weird thing is they only ran arc <laughs> like in goal to go situations, which yeah. is when you don't want to run it. Because that safety, I mean, it's still 11 on 11, right? So you've always got one free hitter if you're going to be playing zero and you play zero in the low red zone. So it's, uh, I think it goes back to play calling mostly. And then otherwise, I mean, just an absolutely dominant performance. Um, I mean, they didn't punt until they had that the uh, call overturned and I thought they should have gone for that because <laughs> I can't punt against Michigan State. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so you know the 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 red zone thing is a is a thing beyond this game. I, this is probably the most um, the the most visible example um, of of the struggles. Now, what I think it's is sixty three percent on touchdown efficiency. They're fifty eighth in in the country. They got to get uh, to pay dirt more often, and and so they have to be looking at that right now. Like, what what can we do to uh, to increase our odds? You say don't get fancy. You know, just hey, you know, run duo, run, run G lead, do the thing, get give your best player the football. I think some of their best players are on the perimeter at receiver. And I, I think incorporating them more serves two purposes. Number one, I mean, I think it's gonna make you be more effective in, in the red zone. The other thing is, man, I mean, you got some some really talented guys out there. And while they're good, de- they're good teammates, and no one's complaining about winning. Yeah, you, you, it, it makes it a tougher proposition. I'm thinking long term when you want to, you know, you got to recruit your roster and keep your guys and that kind of thing. It makes it harder to to fend off the poachers uh, because that's what teams spend time doing. You know, who can we go and get? And you don't want that. You don't want uh, you know that some receptiveness to that kind of kind of calling when they aren't involved. I think that winds up becoming an issue as well including in recruiting including in recruiting so i look winning is the most important thing and helping your your red zone efficiency is is on that scale but the a secondary concern a secondary benefit i think of incorporating them more is what it'll do for recruiting both recruiting your roster and recruiting uh recruits also well they don't they just don't throw contested balls mm-hmm. right like when's the last time you saw a Keon Coleman type throw yeah. from Michigan. Yeah. Like there's, there were a couple that uh, Ronnie Bell like got contested, but those, sh- those throws were a little short. One of them was actually JJ getting hit on the throw, but in terms of just like, go get it. Like we're going to run a fade. They don't, they don't do that at all. <clears throat> and there was the, the third and nine or something on the first field goal drive where they throw it three yards down the field. And I'm like, man, in that situation, just, single someone up to the field and and just throw them a fade and see what happens because these defensive backs are not good like give your man a shot and don't just like check it down for nothing but that's the I, thing you know they they play too high a lot and yeah it is an invitation to run but people act like you can't throw down the field against two high defenses yeah, yeah you can well i mean it, it was you can throw down the field but you're not gonna I mean, it's just so easy to <laughs> run the ball. That's the that's Michigan's problem. That's their problem right now is their running game is so dang efficient that, like, 
why do you want to burn it down when you can get if, if, if the, that was the thing with uh, with three yards in a cloud of dust that like if you are getting three yards every single play, then it's like. Well, man, if I'm getting, if you're getting four yards every single play running the ball, and I know Urban Meyer fell into the same problem, and he had receiver, we go into Urban Meyer's receiver coaching, but the they kind of had the same problem with that program where he just they were so efficient running the ball that that just became the thing they did all the time, and then they got punched in the mouth one time and they didn't know what to do. But well, like the, the strange yeah. the strange thing is, is that I mean every defense that goes up against Michigan is doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is playing in the parking lot, and at some point you'd think somebody would be like, "All right, we're going to make JJ McCarthy beat us instead of Blake Corum." Nobody has yet. Like, I guess Indiana a little bit because uh, that's they are very aggressive, but Michigan still tore them up on the ground too. So, like, it just kind of feels like, I mean, in this game, Michigan State, their game plan was not in the face. They wanted Michigan just to to march down the field and then see what happened in the red zone, and it sort of paid off. Um, you know, Michigan ended up kicking five field goals, so there was some that strategy was warranted in some way. But you know, they did hit a twenty-nine yard post to Bell, and that was against one high because <laughs> they got a late shift. And then as soon as that happened, Michigan was like, "All right, we got a chunk play on us." So I think that there's, I don't know, when it's a kind of like take what they're giving you, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about this game and if Michigan had I mean converted twice more say in the red zone uh, you know no one would you know no one would be thinking about this as anything other than just the complete you know whipping I mean you you add eight points 37 seven oh yeah okay great and and that's with even you know not a great conversion rate in the in in the red zone. So really, in in terms of how the games played out, it played out it was pretty one sided and 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 was a pretty dominating performance by Michigan. Uh, and you know I think that the run game was impressive, and that I think the Michigan State defensive tackles are good. I think Slade could play in the end. Yeah, he's a ball. He's a ball player. Yeah, he yeah. is. And uh, you know, so and yet they were still able to pretty much ru- routinely uh, gain yards. In fact, routinely gain gain yards through through the middle of the Michigan State defense with Coram. Yeah. All right, let's get to a break. We will talk. You know, we we will talk the rest of the Big Ten. I'm curious, you guys' thoughts on. Penn State, Ohio State, definitely curious your your thoughts uh, in the aftermath of the first uh, incarnation of the college football playoff rankings. The last deal to get to here, MGO Blog Roundtable and the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Clear on the radio. All right, so let's get to some of these. So recruits won't come because we don't throw 50-50 balls. Let them go somewhere else. Tell that to Jaden Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say Tell that to Jaden Davis, who was at the game. And if you, and if you think it, they weren't coming away from that game wondering, hey, man, does Michigan just not throw the football? Then I'll tell you you're thinking wrong. So if you can have – see, the, the wrong thing to do is to be defensive. It's, this is – they're an 8-0 football team. You're not saying they're terrible. You're not saying they're, they don't know what they're doing. They clearly need to tweak something in the red zone. I, I would tell Jaden Davis, hey, man, we got Blake Coram right now. He's the best player in the country. So, <laughs> we're, I mean, when you're you the best player have, in the country, we're going to go to you. Yeah, you expect <laughs> to have good running backs all the time. Can can you incorporate all your weapons? If, if the answer is going to be, hey, if we have, when we have a great running back, we can't feature receivers too, I think that's a losing argument. 
Yeah, no, it's, yeah. I, I, gotta, I'm not. I'm not in recruiting. <laughs> yeah, you you got to be at a feature. But yeah, but I mean, that's the honest answer: is that Michigan's um, they're too efficient with the running game right now. So, like, they don't want to burn second and six and get to third and six and then have to throw because you know you can turn second and six into at least third and two and probably first and goal or first and ten. By the way, uh, Brian was bad mouthing Lou the Toe Groza on your uh, podcast. No, I was. I th- oh, you were bad mouthing. <laughs> I was bad mouthing Groza. I'm not bad mouthing Groza. I'm just saying Moody's better. Well, he probably is. But you you know who the most valuable player in the NFL was in 1954? Lou Groza, and he was an offensive tackle. Now Groza played. He played offensive tackle and and kicked field goals because he he was a, just an incredible player, and uh, his brother Alex Groza, you might know, played it was an All American in Kentucky and played in the uh, NBA. Uh, so and Groza himself was a great basketball player. Now Brian's right that he, he was about two three hundred pounds by the end of his career. He was maybe I didn't six- say anything about Lou Groza. Uh, well, someone maybe it was an astronaut bad mouthing my boy Lou Groza. <laughs> Lou Groza was one hell. You know of a how long ago nineteen fifty four was? Guess well, who was, I know. Guess who I, was one I, of the best teams in the NFL in nineteen fifty four? The Detroit Lions. Well, That's it, how long it's been. Yeah, I know, but they were the, they're uh, a champion. They're playing championship football in 1954. Well, they didn't win the championship. I I love history they as much as anyone, Craig. But I I want the Jake Mo- I I want it to be called the Jake Moody Award after if he wins it again. That's that was my <laughs> yeah. take. Yeah, I, I mean, that was it. So, but uh, no, Lou Groza was the was was a real deal, uh, and I saw him play many times, and. Uh, he, he he was not just a, a kicker, and that was back in the day when 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 kickers played. Sam Baker, uh, who was his big competitor, played. I think the first non-kicker player, uh, or first kicker non-player, might have been Ben Agajanian uh, with the Giants. But uh, of course, uh, uh, Blanda kicked, and most back then. Uh, in fact, the interesting thing about about Groza is he wore two different shoes. On, on his kicking foot, he wore a square-toed shoe. Uh, so very uh, – but it yeah. changed, of course, with the Gogolak brothers and when they started kicking soccer style. <laughs> <laughs> they were brown. Eric, Eric Tolbert just asked what color were Jesus' sandals. So like, I, well, I have to read these for the people listening. Um, yeah. Back on radio in about a minute, guys. Yeah, I, look, I think Michigan's better than Clemson. I just that's one. When I talk about, well, does Michigan are there and do they have the ingredients right now? You know, play play calling, what being what it is, everything that we've seen be their strengths now. Do they have? Would they win a national championship today? I I I can't say that I would pick them to do that. I would pick them to beat Clemson though. I, I just I, I don't know how you could look at these two teams and be more impressed with Clemson than Michigan. They were just talking about benching their quarterback. They were. I mean that that was the committee getting mad at Michigan for their non conference schedule. Yeah, so that's all it is. They've just decided that there's no way they're gonna put two Big Ten teams in the in the playoffs. And but I don't think that's a surprise, right? I mean I think that's back on radio in thirty seconds, guys. Probably always been our assumption, I think. Yeah. Well, here's here's the upside of of usage, man. You got a hell of a case to make the Nick Harbor. 
mean, can you imagine Nick Harbor <laughs> as a, you know, as a, you know, as a tight end in this offense? I mean, he can, he's going to get a lot of targets, a lot of freaking targets, man. Yeah. He's a feature guy. Is Back that, in about 10 seconds, guys. Stand is by. Is that where he would, he would piece in at? I think uh, that's how you end. use him. Like a, like a Y. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was wondering if we can use him on defense. Like, no. guys, Penn State, Ohio State, watching that game and, you know, while JT, and I can't say his last name, had one of the best individual games I, I, may, I may have ever seen, right? The dude was phenomenal. Two interceptions. He caused another interception. Uh, he scored in the game. He had a couple of sacks. I mean, he was a one-man wrecking crew. But Ohio State as a team, they weren't they, – they didn't dominate Penn State. Uh, they weren't as impressive against the Nittany Lions as Michigan was. Granted, it was in Happy Valley. What were your takeaways from that game, Brian? Well, I mean, Penn State had a lead with 10 minutes left in that game, and then it immediately went away. But they had one 41-yard touchdown run, and the rest of their ground game was 37 yards versus what Michigan did to them. And I think there are some things that Michigan does that Ohio State does not do that makes them more vulnerable to what Manny Diaz does as a def def uh, defensive coordinator. But, <clears throat> I mean – yeah, I mean, one of these games was a complete blowout, and the other one was competitive. Like that was total total yards was pretty much even in that game. And for Michigan, it was, I mean, a couple of fluke plays was the only thing that prevented that game from being like forty eight to nothing. So yeah, that does give you a lot of hope. Uh, the thing is, is like, yeah, <laughs> JTT had a game, and what we saw their receivers be able to do in this game, and pretty much all year is a little concerning because Michigan was able to solve Keon Coleman by putting a safety over the top of him. I don't know if you're going to be able to get away with that against Ohio State because they don't have one Keon Coleman, <coughs> three guys. And, you know, JSN hasn't really played very much this year. And to me, it's like, can Michigan get pressure? Because Stroud still doesn't deal with pressure very well, throws off his back foot against it a lot. And that was what really held their offense down last year. And I just, Given what we've seen from Michigan's pass rush in, in this game and in the Penn State game, I kind of feel like it's uh, going to be a tall order for Michigan to try to get to Stroud. Seth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ryan's pretty much got it nailed. I mean, how many times, though, have we seen Ohio State not play Penn State well and then just come out in the game? Like, that's just that series has always just been a little bit weird. I do think that there was a little bit of randomness going on. Um, uh, you know, Penn State actually was doing better than we realized because they had two turnovers at that point. They had a third turnover later, but uh, Ohio State, you know, the, the turnovers really kind of changed the game as well. So Penn State was playing better. But a lot of what they were doing, and this goes back to the uh, to the way they play defense, is like they were gambling on certain gaps, and eventually that's going to break. Like that, the way that they're playing is eventually you're going to just have a gap that's not covered or a guy who gets upfield, and then there's nobody, there's no help anymore. Uh, and when, so... That style was working for them, but I think they were a little bit lucky that it was working for them. I think they were a little bit lucky that Mayan Williams went out because he's the guy who breaks the tackle and then turns that into a problem because now you have no no one behind him. Um, and then finally it broke, and it was like, well, that kind of felt like it was coming all game. So I think that, you know. Did it? <laughs> I mean, they had yeah. one 40-yard run, and then they were averaging two yards a carry. Yeah, but because like, it's they – not like this – they didn't have any linebackers back there. They were just shooting guys well, upfield. Yeah, but that's – I mean, you're going to take that trade every time, right? Like, sure, sure. I just think that was part run. of the trade-off. 
So that it, it could have happened in the first quarter. It could have happened then. It wasn't like it had to happen at that point. I don't feel it was like pressure, 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 break. I feel like it was they were gambling, and that one big run uh, was what they were going to give up by that gamble, and it could have come any time. I think Ohio State is who we th- thought they were. I think Michigan might be a much better team than anyone going into the season gave them credit for, and I think it's going to be a real game. But like Brian said, getting pressure on Stroud is the, is the key. Craig? Yeah, big picture. Um, you know, PSU and Ohio State seemed like for three and a half quarters, uh, or maybe even a little more than that, a dead even game. Mm-hmm. And 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 Michigan really dominated Penn State. Uh, that game wasn't nearly as close in the first half. It was close on the scoreboard, but it was eighteen to one in in first downs, and the game had been completely dominated by Michigan, and and then broke out in the second half. And so you do have the differences in field. Of course, one was played here, and and the Penn State game was. Ohio State game was played at Penn State, but still, uh, it's hard for me to believe that the the variance in in those two games was all that profound. Mm-hmm. So I have to believe Michigan has a shot and a reasonable shot against Ohio State, even at Columbus. Um, you know, they have a good quarterback, but I agree with Brian that he does kind of wilt under pressure, and whether we can get pressure is a question. And I. You have to wonder whether Ohio State's going to be able to run the ball against Michigan. They could no, run no, it no. against Penn State. Yeah, I don't I think mean, so. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. That that was one of the more glaring observations yeah. from that game. Ohio State and the interior of their offensive line. I, I just. I think Michigan has a decided advantage there. I I agree with with you, Brian. I don't know about pressure with four. I don't know if, if they can get there without uh, without what is it seemed to, it's a strength for Michigan thus far. Uh, you know, uh, Jesse Manor's pressure scheme, but you are going to leave your guys on the back end more vulnerable against the the most talented receiving core in the country. So there is a higher risk in some of the, in the pressure scheme in that game, but against the run, I think Michigan is going to have a decided advantage on both sides, running the football on Ohio state, stopping the run. That is, those things are given. What I don't know, and the other ingredient in Michigan imposing its will last year is they got in C.J. Stroud's face, to your point, early and often. I don't know. I don't know if if you do that uh, against them this year. And if you can't, can you do what Penn State was doing in this game? And Sean Clifford, yeah, he there were four turnovers in this game, but a, a tip here, a deflection there. It wasn't like they were all horrible decisions. He was just throwing it to the other team. Uh, you know, they got some some good bounces, Ohio State did. He had nearly 400 yards passing, guys. I mean, he was moving it up and down the field on that Ohio State defense. So can Michigan do that if it winds up being the case that Ohio State is putting up points with that talented receiving core? I mean, <clears throat> a lot of it was Sean Clifford doing the Sean Clifford thing where he breaks contain and is able to uh, get something sort of on the move, do some improv stuff. And then Penn State's touchdown drive to go ahead was that was a Rube Goldberg machine. They missed two <laughs> field goals. There's two penalties. They they fumble into the end zone and it's overturned. And they have to go to fourth down. And then their running back is able to like Houdini his way out of what looked like a, a stuff. So I hope it's better than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Because I mean that that was sixteen fourteen uh, with uh, ten minutes left, and I don't think Michigan's going to be holding Ohio State to fourteen points. Uh, but we've seen it in this Penn State game. We saw it against Iowa. Um, Ohio State has also struggled in the red zone, uh, and I think that they their quarterback is not particularly mobile. Although I think that they'll probably activate him for Michigan. And without Mayan Williams, they don't really have a guy who's going to bust three tackles and get you two yards when there's not two yards there. So I kind of feel like this could be a game where the offense has moved on the field, relatively few possessions, and it will come down to red zone efficiency, uh, which is kind of a scary prospect for both teams. I think. Yeah. One thing, one footnote to what Brian just said. I mean, I agree that Clifford is a talented guy at breaking contain, but you know who else is? JJ McCarthy. Yeah. And 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 I don't think he's any any less talented uh than 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 Clifford on point. And and to me at, at the beginning of the season I would have given Michigan nominal chances in this game. Right now I said, "Wait a minute, who's a better team, Michigan or Penn State?" I think Michigan's a lot better than Penn State. How did Penn State and and Ohio State play out? Pretty even game, really. Uh so uh, may there's I'm, some field. How variance. many times? How many times? Know, though, if we had know, gone through a season, we're like, oh, Penn State looked better than Ohio State. Here's yeah, I know here, the, the pressure still. thing is the big deal, and I mm-hmm. and I have I some hope there because I think Michigan, the last two games especially, have really. Uh, I mean, they they're using Taylor Upshaw as a defensive end now. Upshaw is not a bad player. He's a bad pass rusher, but he's a you know he's their most responsible guy. And I think against uh, Penn State, Michigan said, "Look, we don't want Clifford to beat us beat us with his feet," and he didn't. Right? And then they did the same thing with Thorne. Thorne got uh, one scramble in this game, and that was because uh, Mason Graham tried to go for a sack at one point and left a big gap. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that that is probably not going to be their strategy against Ohio State. That's your strategy if you're like, okay, this guy's not going to beat us with his arm. The receivers are not that difficult for us to cover. Let's just keep this guy contained because we don't want him running loose. I don't think that's going to be the strategy against Ohio State. I think you're going to see more Yabioki. I think you're going to see uh, a lot more of the uh, amoeba blitzes that have kind of gone away in the last few weeks. Uh, Michigan was like very vanilla against Michigan State as far as their uh, their pass rushing. Like They did a couple stunts, and then there was like one time where they looked like they were rushing seven, and they got caught. There was a double-A gap blitz. They are like, that was it. So I think they're going to be a lot more interesting. I think they're going to play a lot more too high. And so, you know, Ohio State's going to use those receivers. Last year, they got one of the best receiving games in the in history. Like, if you go back and watch their receivers in that game, those guys were making contested ball catches all over the place. Okay? <laughs> so, the the best that they could probably do with these receivers, are, which are great, is get back to where they were last year. In that, and, and, and That's the performance level that they can try to get to. And as long as Michigan's keeping guys in front of them, I agree with Brian that you got to just keep the, you know, get it down to the red zone and then you can make your stand there. And I think that we've got enough talent in the in the secondary this year that we don't have to play as conservative as we did last year and give up a lot of those underneath things. So, I mean, Michigan's going to make Ohio State work for those yards. They're going to get them because they're Ohio State and they're good. But you know, I'm I'm looking forward to a really good game. This is going to be 
maybe one of the best in the history of the series. Yeah, stay healthy, stay healthy, stay healthy, and don't take Illinois for granted. You you do yeah. those things. Yeah, uh, Michigan. I, I like. I, it's my biggest takeaway from watching Penn State Ohio State is I feel even better about Michigan's chances in Columbus after watching that game. Um, so you know, stay healthy. Don't take Illinois for granted. And and uh, you know, I I'm gonna be ready to to maybe change my preseason pick. But but don't guys, take Rutgers for granted. What? Don't take Rutgers for granted. No. I know you're laughing, but last year Rutgers <sighs> gave us a hard time. Sure they did. Take Rutgers for granted. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even going to talk Rutgers, they're, man. They're out there throwing their, they're hiding their film. Poor Alex Drain <laughs> is going all around the internet looking for film on these guys, and everyone's giving him the same answer. Why? No, what did you guys think? <laughs> so, you know, another takeaway question. My Normally, look. You got a lot of games to play. What difference does it make the college football playoff rankings, right? It's a, to generate discussion they and ratings and that kind of thing. But at least for me, there was a significant takeaway. I went into this, uh, into it kind of thinking, you know, the Big Ten has a chance to get two teams on a college football playoff. I saw the first uh, incarnation of the rankings, and I feel less confident. I feel like if there's a one-loss team in the playoff, it's going to be an SEC team. And I'm curious if you guys – what you guys think about that? Well, you, I mean, TCU still has a lot of hurdles. So, I mean, I just think it's always going to be a tough sell if you've got a one-loss Big 12 team that's played a lot of ranked teams or even a one-loss Pac-12 team that wins their conference, plays a conference championship game and wins it. And you're looking at an 11-1 and Michigan team, might have lost to Ohio State. Like, okay, they beat Illinois, they beat Penn State but their non-conference schedule is complete garbage. I just think I just think it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like essentially the committee is going to look at all these teams that are functionally tied and be like this team is 12 and 1, this other team is 11 and 1 and didn't play anyone in the non-conference. So they're in. Like if Oregon wins the Pac-12, <laughs> like and they have one loss, they played Ohio State, no, they played Georgia. Right? Like they're going to get in. Like I, I feel like if what Michigan, was the Georgia's whoa, 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 you you think Oregon? What Oregon? Oregon? Didn't they lose like sixty-two? It to was three? forty-nine to three. Hi, yeah, <laughs> but if they're if they're twelve and one and their one loss is against Georgia, they're getting in over Michigan. You right? think? So? And you lost forty-nine, Michigan? To three? Yeah, but Listen, it doesn't matter. Michigan loses to Ohio State. Well, Michigan it's, played yeah. UConn instead of Georgia. Well, the well hang on a second. Look at that. Michigan the played a non-conference. UConn is a uh, was a four loss team right now. Ugh, that please, <laughs> UConn's garbage. Uh, no, but so is Notre Dame. Oh my god, <laughs> the same uh, record, the same no, conference. Oh come on, I know. So, but that's they, they played they played garbage, and the committee has an opportunity here to be like, "Hey, you played garbage. You're not getting the playoff. They're going to take it, and they're certainly not going to put two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams in the playoff. This is not going to happen." Because everybody else is going to lose their mind. We've kind of been resigned to the fact that it's two SEC teams. But if there's two, total two conferences in the playoff, and one of them is a team that didn't even win their division, didn't play one in the non-conference, and has two decent wins, uh, people will lose their minds. And so, but I we're only that, talking about the West Coast. Who cares about the West Coast? <laughs> in, in the oh no! But like the the, the 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 Big Twelve gets shut out, the ACC gets shut out. Like I just don't see it happening. So I think Michigan has painted themselves in a corner where the only thing that's going to do it is an undefeated season. I guess they could lose to Illinois and then beat Ohio State, but they got to win the Big Ten. They got to win yeah, the Big yeah. Ten, and 
I think if they do lose to Ohio State, then you're going to look at that decision to cancel the UCLA game as a huge blunder. And it was already a huge blunder. And there was no reason to do it. But Ward Manuel, for some reason, decided to cancel that series. And we got a crappy game against a crappy opponent. And now it looks like it might cost Michigan a shot at the playoff. Because you go in that UCLA game and you lose it, well, you're still in the same situation you are now. Because if you win the Big Ten, you're in. See, I just But think, if you beat UCLA in the non-conference schedule and you're 11-1, and one, then you have a much better shot of making the playoff. No see, doubt. I, I won't I, dispute that, but here's the thing. A one-loss Michigan team, let's, let's, let's just stipulate for the purposes of this discussion that it's a close loss. Yeah. A one-loss Michigan team, that loss being to Ohio State, versus a one-loss Oregon who got destroyed, destroyed by Georgia – I got to think if, as much as we think politics sort of play into this and to, you know, the, the network execs kind of drive this. I can't imagine they would choose a one loss Oregon team over a one loss Michigan team, even if they are a champ. Yeah, oh, well, so I'm what's the, what's the this. message that sends the message that I want to make money. No, the message that sends is schedule UConn. The message that sends is don't play anybody in the non-conference period. Cause even if it's the number one team in the country and you get beat pretty bad, that's a better outcome than it's, it, it would be. It would be disastrous for non-conference scheduling. Disastrous yeah, for I Michigan mean, have, to duck and get in the playoff at the same record as an Oregon team that played freaking Georgia and I, won their conference and won a conference championship game. I don't even think they're going to care about that message. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think they will. Michigan yeah, should man. not have. I agree. Michigan should have played UCLA. You're 100 percent right about that one. But you know it and. But I also believe the quality of outcomes and the, what happens over the rest of the season is salient. And if Michigan loses, you know, 27-24 to Ohio State in a last-second field goal in an even game, that's a more at Columbus. That's a more impressive thing than losing by, you know, 40 points plus to to Georgia. So who? Okay, but they're just going to look at last year's playoff game against Georgia and be like, well, what happened to Michigan play Georgia? Well, Same yeah, thing. but then you might as well go back to the 1947 game when or 57 okay. game when Michigan beat Georgia. I and- guarantee, I guarantee you that if Michigan is 11 and one, they are not getting in over 12 and one Oregon. It's well, that may be that that may be true, and they I shouldn't. Don't know. They should not. Well, yeah, they should not. Question. They should not get in over a conference champion that actually played someone in the non-conference. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 has been eliminated. No, I don't think they have a shot. No way. I, I no think way. you you lose like they lost. How do you? How, because, How do you get in over because any- what Brian said, there's going to be a um, it, it, it's politics. There's only four spots. It's and- not politics. It's reasonable. Well, it's <laughs> whatever. You, you can't just try chalk everything. Oh well, it's politics. It's not politics. But, but whatever. It's looking it's, at it, the teams and yes. being like, this team played UConn. I'm not. Should, but I'm saying there's no way. That. There's no way and this that team won their conference. They played an extra tough game against a tough opponent. They they beaten at that point probably. What everybody they they beat UCLA they beat USC they beat they beat Utah, like if they if they roll that off their resume is going to be a lot more impressive than Michigan. I'm agreeing with you because Michigan because the, the Big yeah. Twelve is bad. I mean, the, I mean the Big Ten is bad this year. And yeah, I, I just don't think I, I don't think they have a a motive beyond what gets us the most eyes, what makes us the most money. Well, I don't I don't think I, they're going to be out to make a point about schedule. I don't think that having a a two conference playoff is the best ratings answer either. I think Michigan just, will be. Michigan would be. 
I just, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm not that cynical that I think hmm. that the only thing that they're going to look at is because if that was the case, we wouldn't be behind Clemson right now, right? Like you well, got you got to look at these that, playoff yeah. rankings that got released and be like, so how does this comport with our idea that they're going to put in Michigan because dollar dollar bill, y'all? I well, I, I mean, I, I would see in this particular instance, though, I think the the, the Clemson argument is a, I, I think it's apples and oranges with with Oregon, but you, it's not. I'm not totally discounting your point. If it was totally about rankings or about ratings, then yeah, Michigan would would have the the mantle, but. Oregon is on a different in a different planet, in a different planet in this discussion about what's going to draw uh, eyes and attention and be sexy. I think in the in the eyes of the uh, of of the committee, but time will tell. I mean, look, when your games, it doesn't matter. When your games, it doesn't matter. That's the long and the short of it. But I think the only one lost team that can get in is going to come from the SEC. That's that's what I got from it. I'm so sick so. of the SEC, but I think, but you're but you're right, and it's and Brian's right that the like Oregon is. There's no reason not to like they already did it in 2016 where like they had the opportunity to put up two lo- uh, you know two lost Michigan in there who was one probably had a case to be one of the best teams but it's there's no point why would you want to play that Michigan Ohio State game again that's all you're gonna do it's that people we've seen enough of Georgia and Alabama play a second time or Georgia and Tennessee or whatever it's gonna be and I don't want them to do it with the Big Ten either. The game is going to decide who goes to the playoffs. End of story. No doubt. No doubt. There's a long way to go. Long way to go. All right. We got to get out of here. We're late. Ira gave us a two-minute warning. Uh, Four minutes ago. <laughs> so we'll see, you. we'll see you tomorrow, folks. Here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK is Ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.